I don't know that I'd ever seen that before. It's in the galaxy of the Milky Way. <laughs> that thought occurred to me. There's an obvious way they could have had Kong obsess about Brie Larson, you know? And they, they didn't really go there. Well, that's a much more sensible reaction by the giant ape than, I wonder if we can have a thing. They weren't trying to win us with nostalgia. What does it matter? Airplanes got it. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. Hello, this is Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And today we will continue our journey through the Legendary Pictures Monsterverse. At, we will be discussing Kong, Skull Island from 2017, directed by Jordan Volk Roberts, starring Tom Hiddleston, Samuel L. Jackson, John Goodman, Brie Larson, Jing Tian, Toby Kebbell, John Ortiz, Corey Hawkins, Jason Mitchell, Shay Wingham, Thomas Mann, Terry Notary, and John C. Riley. That's a big cast. Do you know that uh, before we go further, there are six MCU alums in this movie? Yes, yes. Which I thought was kind of funny. One of them reprises his rank of Colonel. Yeah, now that you mention it. <laughs> but uh, I won't I won't bore the audience with, I, I don't have the exact characters they played, but everybody will know that Samuel L. Jackson, of course, is Colonel uh, Nick Fury. Tom Middleston is Loki. Brie Larson is Captain Marvel. Marvel. John C. Riley is a Nova Corps officer. Shea Wiggum, I think, was in one of the shows. The mo-capture actor who plays Kong was Groot in the motion, motion capture performer in Avengers Endgame. Okay. For, for Groot. And then a couple others. But I just thought that was kind of funny that, that some, somehow Legendary Pictures pulled in six MCU actors and the guy who played Doctor Doom in the terrible Fantastic Four movie. That's right. That's right. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Before we jump into the, to the plot and the synopsis that we do, I wanted to ask you, what was your initial reaction to this film? When I saw the preview to this movie, I was very... I, I thought the preview looked great. This is back when it came out in 2017. I never did see it. Mm -hmm. I only watched it for the first time after watching 2014 Godzilla, which we reviewed previous to this because that's the first of the... of the Going into this film, I anticipated that despite my excitement about the preview that I had seen, that this film would be kind of more of the same. Yep. But to answer your question, uh, no, this film does not have the same problems with humans as A, many monster films do, but specifically the, the previous film in this series. Yes. I thought the film... Uh, I, I agree. I, I didn't think it had the same problems with the humans and the, and the trailer let you think that was the case but the trailer also let you think that was the case with Godzilla 2014 yeah. and as you're watching this film it does a really good job after the opening action scene vignette of two planes crashing on an island in 1944 with the credits and the sound the score it really does tie nicely to the Godzilla to the to the MonsterVerse to the Godzilla 2014 soundtrack it's different but it feels of a piece to me the credits oh, the montage yes. of pictures the the just the way they use historical images to kind of set these monsters in a in a real almost plausible context right and do you have any production notes for us yeah well i mean actually i mean one of the things that I, I actually couldn't find a lot of information about it so i think that in the development phase you know there wasn't it wasn't real serious uh for listeners i don't think that we have to belabor the point that king kong originally came out in 1933 and this legendary story that later became um a a product used by toho pictures that made yeah. the 
original Godzilla films. And even there was an original, there was a Godzilla versus King Kong. There were standalone King Kong movies. Then the, the name King Kong kind of reverted back and was purchased by Dino De Laurentiis, who did a, a, a god-awful film in, the, in uh, 1976. And then King Kong was resurrected again in 2005 by Peter Jackson of the Lord of the Rings fame, in which he made a three-hour, three-hour plus maybe, yeah. uh, remake of the original film. The original well, Legendary movie. Pictures, I think, right? With Legendary Pictures, yes, but distributed by Universal. Okay. But one of the things, and I couldn't find a lot of information about it, but apparently this film began its life as a possible sequel to King Kong in, yes. and uh, called Skull Island. And Peter Jackson was not going to direct, but he was involved in it, bowed out pretty early in development. So I don't think that actually went anywhere. I couldn't find all the information about it. Then uh, this project went from Universal Pictures uh, and then um, Legendary Pictures took it to Warner Brothers. And the decision was then made to make it part, to connect it to Godzilla and to, and to make this kind of connected universe. So they, they then brought in uh, Max Bornstein, who was the, the sole screen, uh, credited screenwriter to Godzilla, although there were actually many other writers that were involved in it. And they brought him in to do the initial draft for this film with the idea that, that it should be connected to, to Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, it was in fact Bornstein that came up with the idea of instead of doing the Kong and the beautiful girl story to do kind of this apocalypse now idea. And that went through several versions. There were other writers that came on. And in fact, Bornstein has said that all the writers that, uh, are, are credited with the screenplay deserve credit because they all, they all provided something. It was, uh, John Gattins who is credited with the story, uh, but Dan Gilroy, Max Bornstein, Derek Connolly, all, uh, contributed ideas. Jordan Bulk Roberts came in to direct the film and they, they obviously got a great cast. They did. They did. And that helps this movie a lot. Yeah. And it's and it's kind of interesting because actually Godzilla landed uh, Brian Cranston yep. well, and and Ken Watanabe I, I think was a, a a good a really good choice somebody that everyone knows in comparison Godzilla does not really have the star studded cast that this movie does I mean maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit because uh, Brie Larson had not played Captain Marvel yet at this yeah. time everyone knows her now yeah and but, I think everybody uh, knew that she was she'd been tapped to play Captain Marvel at this yeah time. yeah uh, so. I when I first saw this I saw this in the theater with my daughter, I think. I noticed that the film was really drawing from, in some ways, it was trying to incorporate a lot of elements of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Yes. Uh, so much so, which which is something that that actually the Peter, ja I think they must have got the idea from the Peter Jackson version of King Kong because the first mate of the ship was a former World War One soldier, and he introduces one of our heroes to Conrad's Heart of Darkness in the story. I mean, in, yeah. the, in the course of the in over the course of the movie, and they kind of use the lessons of Heart of Darkness, Conrad's novel, to sort of elucidate the problems that Carl Denham has. Carl yeah. Denham is essentially Kurtz in Kong. Yeah. Which everybody kind of realizes too late, probably because they didn't have the first mate's education, hadn't read, hadn't read the Conrad. But so that idea kind of it's carried over to this film. 
so much so that we have two characters that reference the story uh, it, to, to savvy viewers. Tom Hiddleston plays Conrad and John C. Riley plays Marlo. Marlo is the hero, quote unquote, of Heart of Darkness. I don't know if you've read Heart of Darkness. Uh, I recommend it to everybody. So they've got this idea they're going to carry Heart of Darkness into the film. And then they just decided to go full Francis Ford Coppola and go to Vietnam with this Kong movie and basically recreate a lot of the visual elements from Coppola's version of Heart of Darkness. And the other thing that they seem to be drawing, and they don't really make any reference to this because Samuel L. Jackson doesn't play Colonel Ahab, but doesn't doesn't Samuel L. Jackson seem a lot like Ahab in this? It's not perfect, which actually, I think, helps the narrative. Yeah. Because uh, if it was too close, it might have been it might have been, uh, been a little irritating. Yes. But 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 it wasn't at all. And he's a great character. Yes. I appreciate that that they kind of crafted this story around these greater stories. And I think that they should probably have done that with Godzilla. I mean, it helps in doing this this kind of pursuit. Uh, the Heart of Darkness is about a pursuit of a guy who's gone rogue in the jungle. Right, um, right. And in some ways kind of incorporating that that skeleton of that story into into this story it gives the human something interesting to do other than exposit <laughs> the plot for the audience. Does that make sense to you, do you think? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. And I think that this movie, one of the things it does immediately, I mean, I mean, as you stated, you know, we start off with uh, kind of a, well, no, it is a pre-credit sequence. It is, it? yeah. Yeah, where uh, we have two World War II pilots crash on this island, they chase each other. They have a, a pretty intense fight. They do. Fairly that is fairly interesting in its own right. And then Kong suddenly shows up and then we cut to the credits yeah. and we move forward. But I actually, you know, to talk about the characters and what makes them different from the characters in Godzilla, yeah, it really starts right away with the uh, the introduction of Randa, John Goodman's character, yeah, yeah. who uh, works for, for Monarch. Yep. And uh, if people are watching these movies in order, Monarch is the the, the organization that uh, has been studying these these massive creatures that, that that are among us, but we don't know that they're there. Yep. John Goodman is really really good in this role. I thought he. I know. I um, agree because because especially in these early scenes, the early scenes. Uh, Randa, played by by John Goodman, uh, comes to Washington uh, right in the middle of a Vietnam War protest at a time when the war is just about to end, yeah. and he has to convince a senator to continue to fund a, a or, or to fund a, a a project that Monarch wants to do. They want to go visit uh, an island that no one has ever seen, and these scenes are really good because if you watch John Goodman's acting, which, which I did in these scenes, he very much plays somebody who is very used to being dismissed. Yes. Because he he works for this organization that no one takes seriously, and, and they you know they go into the they go into the secretary's office, and, and he says, "Yeah, we have a, a meeting with the senator." He's like, "Oh yes, well I left you a message that," and the look and the look on John Goodman's face, it's it's really terrific acting, like he's bracing himself. Yes, and I just kind of got the sense, man, he does this all the time because he's always getting the cold shoulder from everybody. Yeah, yeah. In Godzilla, the 2014 Godzilla, uh, we see. Monarch back when it was in its heyday. Yeah. 
in 44 uh, or in the early 40s where they're trying to, they think there's something out there and they're trying to kill it. In the intervening years, we see that it's Monarch has fallen on hard times. Yeah. But this film is going to explain basically why Ken Watanabe has no troubles commanding resources in 2014, right? But right. here we're seeing Monarch at maybe its lowest point. I, I, you know, I think John Goodman plays uh, a desperate guy to get, I mean, he's a guy desperate to to prove his case and to prove that this organization isn't money wasted by the U.S. government. And, and um, something else about the script. The script is often witty. Yes. Uh, in ways that Godzilla kind of wasn't. And an example of that when, you know, you know the, the senator mentions that the, the guy's looking for UFOs. <laughs> and John and, and Randa says, yeah, but those guys are nuts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um <laughs> No, it is witty. It doesn't seem to be quite as serious as Godzilla is. The tone is a lot lighter in this film than Godzilla. And, yes, and you're right, that, yeah. that does help the film a lot. You can get away with a serious monster movie, but the script's got to be excellent. I think a, a great example of that is, is Peter Jackson's King Kong, in fact, which yeah. I think is a... a a towering achievement of cinema. This uh, this doesn't take it quite, so quite as seriously. John Goodman has an assistant, the actor who, I can't remember the actor's name. The actor is Corey Hawkins. Corey Hawkins. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, that's Hugh, yeah. But he plays the character. Houston Brooks is the character, yeah. Yeah, and Houston Brooks steps in when Goodman hasn't crafted a case that, that's going to convince the senator. And he says, well, you know, we can't keep this island a secret forever. The Russians are going to find out soon. We don't oh, want them to, and don't actually, want them to, you yeah. don't want them to find out what, you don't want them to find something that we, you know, we don't want to miss something that they find. Oh, I, I, actually, he he acts, um, he delivers the line great, and, you know, because, because he says, uh, and um, you want us to, whatever's there, you want us to find it first. Yes. Right? <laughs> and, and one of the things that's cool about the scene, too, is we see that, that Senator's wheels turning, and we see the old dog, John Goodman, know when to shut up. Yeah. Because he he's he sees that Brooks has has, has crafted the winning argument. Yeah, right? yeah. Prey on their Cold War worries, and the guy's like, okay, well, this makes sense. And then that's when that's when uh, uh, Randa asks for a military escort after yeah. after he knows he's got it. And then we cut to Vietnam, I think, and we see Colonel Preston Packard. We see him and his men kind of feeling a little better. I think they realize this is a group of people who realize they're going to get pulled out of Vietnam soon. I think though they're going to go. They're getting ready to go home they feel better the colonel does not the colonel does not feel better that's an interesting that's an interesting take and samuel samuel l jackson does play really well a soldier that doesn't really want to stop fighting yeah well i mean because it, it doesn't make any sense to him he he's done very well he has all these medals we find out later that um he's he's angry that the war is being abandoned yeah. those are his words that's exactly right um we didn't lose it uh, we abandoned it yeah and uh he he does not like not finishing the job yeah and so so we see him then we cut to john goodman in a bar in saigon i think and they're they're, they're tracking down one more guy they want to have some guy that this great tracker great jungle survival skills he's a former SAS guy and uh, that's Tom Hiddleston's James Conrad uh, character and you know he's established very well we see John Goodman by the way has a lot of great lines in this film and uh, and like when when they're when they're walking to the bar 
Brooks says, why do we need to see this guy? This guy, we, we, we found out this guy hangs out at like a really seedy bar. And Goodman's like, well, my dad always said you never judge a man uh, by where he drinks, but by by what he drinks. And so, um, which I, I don't know if that's good advice, actually, but John Goodman makes me want to <laughs> believe it. John Goodman, everybody, is an underrated actor in, yeah. in American cinema, I think. He is, I don't know if you know this, Jason, but... He's Al Pacino's favorite actor. Really? Al Pacino thinks John Goodman's one of the best actors ever. And he's, he's John uh, John Goodman is is one of his favorite actors. Uh, they've only worked together a handful of times. John Goodman uh, is in one of my favorite... He, he did a run on one of my favorite plays, which was Big River. He's Pa, pa Finn. He's Huckleberry Finn's dad in, in Big River. And he sings, okay. a, he sings a classic song. John Goodman can do it all. He can sing. He can, he can, he can, he can act in dramas and comedies. But uh, here he is really great in an adventure film we come in at the tail end of his conversation with tom hiddleston right and we come in on hiddleston's end of the negotiations john goodman slides some money across the table and hiddleston basically says look this is a jungle we don't know anything about it uh he lists off a bunch of dangers getting there sounds like it's going to be hard and that's before we even get to the things that want to kill us i want uh and then john was like well we'll give you two times that i want five times that (laughs) <laughs> and, and and then it's like I want I want uh, that matched if we come back, <laughs> if, if we if we survive, which which I think is funny. And then they spar a little bit more, and Hiddleston seems on the fence. And then John Goodman has this great line, which I, again I don't know if it's right, but he does seem like a guy. John Goodman's uh, Randa character does seem like a guy who's really good at getting people to do what he wants eventually. Not always, yeah. but he says to he says to Conrad, he says, Then go to war and search for something, Mr. Conrad. If you'd found it, you'd be home by now. And Conrad is unsure of why he's still in a war zone. He's he's a, he's, he's unsure enough why he's in a war zone that he that he's convinced by this and he goes ahead on this geological scientific seismic survey of an uncharted island that is perpetually surrounded by a hurricane. Yeah. And then after that, we get all the characters brought together on this uh, on this big ship. And that's all pretty, pretty fun. We, we get introduced to Brie Larson a little bit before that. You want to say anything about the Brie Larson introduction? She's a photographer. That's established pretty quickly. We kind of get the sense that she's she has her ear to the ground, you know, for political developments. Yep. And she's she's made several phone calls about this expedition and has gotten the same answer every time, which means that they're lying. So she's very suspicious. She but she ends up uh, becoming the the photographer for the expedition. Now, um can you think of another character in a King Kong movie who was a photographer for an expedition? Well, it wasn't I mean Carl Denham was a movie maker, right? He had a camera a lot of the time. Who's the other one? I don't know. Jeff Bridges in the in the god awful 1976 remake uh, jeff bridges is very good in that movie actually as is jessica lang They're, they are both good yep. nothing else in the movie is uh he's very much an environmentalist yes who 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 has uh gotten aboard the ship because he wants to see where they're going and then they have him become the photographer for the expedition so actually i think brie larson's character of mason weaver is is uh, a bit of a nod to the the jack character played by 
by by Jeff Bridges. I like that. Bill Randa, John Goodman's character, is the closest thing we get to a denim, Carl Denim in this movie. And he even we even see him like winding a little camera of his own, kind of documenting the the mission, which is kind of yes. He does that from the helicopter when the when the first batch of scientists land on the island. We will get to this later, but the thing that that Randa shares with with Denim is that neither one of them would really want to sacrifice anybody. Yeah. But Rand is not out for a personal achievement. Yeah. He's very he's very aware that the work that they're doing here is uh, is very very important yeah. because what whatever's on this island could be a big risk and if it is somebody's going to have to do something about it but we have to do the initial work. Yeah. So you're quite you're quite right in your comparison but there is a difference whereas Denim tends to be a little bit more self-serving. Yes. Randa is not. Now granted no. he's not up front with anybody no. about what they could ex- can expect but he does feel like that this needs to be done. Yeah. I think I I, and I understand why Randa's character thinks he can't be up front with anybody on this trip. He's he's sort of what we find out is that he's sort of crafted this scientific expedition to find giant creatures, which is what Monarch is about. Yeah. But he says that, well, we don't know what's on here. We're just going to go and do this these geological surveys. We'd like a military export escort because it's it might be dangerous. Brooks even says to him as they're getting on the helicopters to fly to the uh, to the island to Skull Island, which is called Skull Island by the way because it looks like a, a skull. Yeah, Skeletor would be very happy on this island. Yeah, Brooks is like, you know, they've got weapons. Shouldn't we warn them about what we might see? And and. Randa says, oh, "Look, it's just a precaution. We don't, we don't have any idea what we might find on this island, you know." And Brooks goes along with it, and they get on the island. Now there is a there is a little bit of a drama before everybody goes because the island is surrounded perpetually by a, a giant storm system. That it's kind of dicey when they fly through that. I thought that sequence was really well done when all these Huey helicopters fly through the hurricane. All the everybody seems to do very good in, in their acting in here. And then when they when they break through the storm system, I mean, it seems like Skull Island is perpetually in the eye of a hurricane. It's a really pretty place and everybody is immediately in awe of the beauty of the island, right? Right. Now, before they hit the storm system, Samuel L. Jackson delivers a tagline, a, a line that became a tagline from another film. Do you, do you get, did you recognize it? I didn't. I just saw the trivia bit while I was watching it. It's a line from another sure. movie. It's a line from another movie about a doomed island experience. All know. right, everybody, hold on to your butts, is what he says, which is which is what was his character's line from Jurassic Park. Oh, all right. Anyway, I didn't know that. I didn't catch that. I just, uh, sometimes I pause the films. Uh, I watch these films a lot of times on my on my Kindle Fire. And a lot of the newer films have the IMDb trivia attached to it. If you pause it or if you roll your cursor over the screen and the trivia pops up. That's the only reason why I know that that is a line from, from Jurassic Park. And so then they start the geological survey, which they're going to throw bombs onto the, drop bombs on the island and send waves through the uh, substrate of the island and that's all really well done the initial scientific survey they're going to try to build bill sorry is that his name not bill uh houston brooks is trying to confirm his hypothesis of the 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 hollow earth <laughs> yeah 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 
that's taking it back uh, away in science fiction history. But but whatever, it's fine. I'll let him have Hollow Earth for these movies. Now, uh, uh, is that a bit of a nod to Journey to the Center of the Earth? Yeah, yeah. Burn? yeah. I like that. I mean, I mean I'm I know where I know where you're going with this. That science, you know, from a from a geological standpoint, that's what I think uh, is in geology referred to as bullshit. Yes. But um, but but as I was watching it, I thought Journey to the Center of the Earth. I, yeah. I can roll with this. I like that. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I now for me, I just let him have it because I'm watching a movie about a giant ape. Fine. <laughs> I probably shouldn't get hung up on the science that much, you know. Yeah. Um, so when I watch a movie like this, and an audience, maybe you'll want to do this too. Just forget everything you know about the real world because you're watching a movie about a giant fucking monster that that can't exist, right? <laughs> right. So, right. You know, I don't know what you expected. Oh, well, the physics is quite wrong here. Well, no fucking shit. <laughs> this is a hundred foot gorilla uh, or chimpanzee uh, in, the, in the case of this Kong. It looks much more like a chimpanzee than it looks like a, a gorilla. But but I liked it too. Now, if I were going to do the Hollow Earth, I might have bumped the story. I, I, I might have put it back in the past a bit more before people knew about Earth, really, you know, where you could discover a Hollow Earth. Like in 1960, I'm sorry, 1973, we had a pretty good idea that the geology of Earth wasn't riddled with ecosystems and hollow worlds, but whatever, I'm with you. It's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. And it is a nice... It is a nice nod to Jules Verne. A narrative choice that I want to to compliment this film for. For people who have seen the three versions of King Kong, and I've seen all three double-digit times, yep. including the 76 film, because when I was a kid, I watched it a lot. One of the things that happens in those three films is that, and actually, it's kind of a good thing about all three of them. There's this build-up to the monster. We establish the, the characters, then we have the characters uh, interact with the natives of the island, mm -hmm. then the uh, female protagonist is captured and she's going to be sacrificed and Kong finally shows up you know pretty well into the film in, in all three yeah I like that this movie was like well we're, we're not doing that yes <laughs> you know there's going to be no landing and discussions they're going to run into Kong right away yes and which which I did not expect. Nope. And and was actually kind of a um kind of an exhilarating moment. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely. It is absolutely an exhilarating moment. All this bomb dropping on the jungle of Skull Island has a predictable effect on the wildlife of the island. It aggravates it. Now this would be fine if uh, if it was just typical wildlife. But the great thing about our our first encounter with Kong is that uh, a helicopter pilot. A really ugly, not a, not a pilot, but the guy throwing out the bombs, who's really ugly. He looks like he came out of a Far Side cartoon uh, or comic, you know, <laughs> but he, he throws one of the bombs out and he's like, and he blows up a bunch of deer. Yeah. And he looks, he looks up and he, he's got this big grin on his face like, oh, that was funny. And he looks up and his face like suddenly changes like, oh my God, something's about to hit us. And then it pans to the view of the, the pilots of the helicopter. And we see it as they see it. And it's this giant tree flying at them. And I, I listened to this today in my second viewing of the, of the movie uh, uh, in my headphones. And I was really able to appreciate the sound design of the film when that Hell it when that when this giant tree roots and all crashes through the front of the the Huey and kills everybody on board. Yeah, and the helicopter goes crashing down, and then all of the chatter on the heli on the helicopter radio starts. Oh my God, what the fuck was 
that. But the sound of the tree smashing through the helicopter is really good and it is jarring. And then, then we see the second thing we see after that is Kong, the big hand of Kong swiping at a helicopter. I thought the reveal of Kong was great here. The 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 shots of the reveal, um, the buildup of what an awesome creature it is. Like when we yes. finally get the reveal of how big it is, you know, we only see him in bits and pieces. We see his face, we see him shaking a helicopter and people screaming. And then after the initial attack of a couple of helicopters, the helicopters regroup and then we see Kong silhouetted by the sun. And it is glorious. And and this is this is their first the 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 military's first encounter and it's our first encounter with the beast too and uh, we see it and we realize what only two of the characters only two uh, only other only two other characters realize James Conrad says get us out of here and so does Bill Randa yeah. and Colonel Preston Packard is not about to cut and run right. I think it's Packard's actions that take them from 12 helicopters to what's the number that they have at the end of it zero yes <laughs> <laughs> what was your reaction to the to the to the Kong reveal here? I look spectacular. Um, there's actually I, there's several things about this scene that I want to say, and it's all complimentary. And here, I, I, I really want to talk about uh, uh, Jordan Volk Roberts, the the director, who, who's a great guy, by the way. Uh, um, for listeners, if any of you ever watch the the uh, 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 the honest trailers that are put out on 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 YouTube, um, where they take a film and they make a trailer that kind of uh, is honest about what you're going to see in the film, uh, Jordan Volk Roberts actually um, narrated the honest half of the honest trailer for this film. Oh yeah, um, I remember and, that. I remember and, that. Yeah. Yeah, and and because because he was aware of some of the mistakes that he had made, and you know, and I thought that that was uh, that was pretty cool of him to do that. But then I I have to say that I'm very delighted to watch the movie, and I have to say I think he did a great job as a director in this movie. And, and there's several things about this uh, about this scene that I, that I want to compliment. First of all, there are some moments in this this scene where Kong just eviscerates twelve helicopters, and, and and it's actually it's it's kind of frightening to watch. Yeah, because because we don't really want these people to die and um the damage that is done to them you know in just a handful of minutes is just it's just devastating yeah but this is this is glorious stuff the, the effects work the the just uh the, the the framing and the movements of kong are are dare i say beautiful yeah like it it, it really is a beautiful thing to look at but then there's something else that that i that really i i, I so there are a few moments in this scene that would usually irritate me as as you know max uh i can be uh, i think you can too can be rather irritated by the filmmaking style of michael bay yes and there are some michael bay cliched moments with the you know the the slow motion uh rotors of the of the helicopters and so forth and and that, that put me to mind of michael bay but at no time did I feel taken out of this scene or out of this movie by any of that? And I was also aware that the the kind of understated dialogue in this action scene is is good in a way that a Michael Bay film would have gotten it wrong. Yes. Um, like when they um, like a couple seconds into the battle, one of the um, one of the characters, I, I actually I can't remember which character that that it is. I think it might be Chapman. Okay. Who says is that a big monkey? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and I just liked that—that that kind of like 
you know, almost like a, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. yeah. Now, if Michael Bay had directed this movie, you would have all these exuberant F-bombs here, F-bombs there, all done for comic effect, yeah. all done to kind of get people to, to see how, how colorful all these characters are. And I, I actually think that, um, that, that Vogue Roberts deserves a lot of credit for kind of... Um, bringing in enough subtlety in the actors that this this scene even though th there are some visual clichés in it at no point does this scene seem cliché to me well, and that that stuck out to me another thing that we can we can praise Vogue Robert Roberts for is for not doing the other thing that Michael Bay would have done in this in this moment which would be cinematographer bring me my instagram filters <laughs> but 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 <laughs> But the thing that I think the scene does well and it conveys well is the absolute shock that all of these people are experiencing because this, what they're about to see is unprecedented. What they see is unprecedented. They don't really know what they're getting into. They're all, they're all kind of like operating at a slower rate than they normally would because this is not, dare I say it, a common sight, right? Right. right. And hey, Conrad and Randa are right when they say, let's get out of here. Because the right thing to do in that moment would be to pull back and regroup. Yeah, oh, totally. But but that's not something that that, that the colonel can bring himself to do. So he immediately has everybody engage. And, and good soldiers that all those people are, and, and these are all good soldiers, by the way. You know, right. uh, the person who starts to lose it is Preston Packard. He's 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 starting to become not a good soldier over the course of this this event, this this adventure. Everybody else follows orders. And like when, when, when Conrad says, hey, let's get us out of here, the pilot of his helicopter is like, like, I don't take orders from you. I'm sorry. They get the order to engage Kong. And that, of course, brings them in to close contact with Kong. And that's just not going to work. The other thing that's nice about this scene is when Kong kind of grabs the helicopters and gets hit by the propellers and he kind of doesn't, it's a shocking thing to him. He's like, ah, the, the acting of the ape yeah. is very good in this movie, which, which, which is good. I mean, it, the movie hinges on that. Yeah. But but I think the acting of the ape is very good. Like you said, Kong is not nice to these people who have come and dropped bombs on his friends and yeah. on the island. And he deals with them the way uh, 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 the boss of an island would, I guess. And, 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 and quite successfully. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Some of the people survive the crash, but they're spread out over a big, dis uh, a, a big area. And they've got to try and find one another. Samuel L. Jackson's people, that is say Preston Packard, has a group of people that have survived. And Captain, former Captain Conrad have some people. He's got the photographer and a few of the soldiers with him. One of my favorite moments of the, the aftermath, though, is when uh, I think the actor is... Uh, one of the soldiers goes up to the pilot, Shea Wiggum, and says, we just got taken out, or something like that. He's like, can you believe what happened? And Shea Wiggum was like, yeah, that was an unconventional encounter. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Cole is the Cole. name of that character. Yeah, he he he's one of because he's just eating his uh, his lima beans or whatever, <laughs> and, and and he just kind of takes everything in stride. Uh, he is one of my favorite characters. He is one of my favorite characters as well. But I just like that it was an unconventional encounter. And then he's like, "What are you, is that? All you can say?" And he's like, "We did all we can do. What, yeah. what were we supposed to do in that situation?" Yeah. And he also has he has some weird sayings as well. But he also does realize that even though he's going to follow. Colonel Packard everywhere Colonel Packard wants him to go. He realizes pretty early that Packard's off the reservation, as they would say in in military speak, right? Yeah. Because he's like, you know, sometimes people don't have enemies until they go looking for them. Yeah. And but anyway, um, after they get housed by Kong uh, and are rendered uh, foot bound for the rest of the movie. 
sidebar. It occurs to me that the term or the phrase housed might not be something everybody uses. I use it as kind of a shorthand for that person looks like somebody dropped a house on them. I picked it up as a way to describe things that happen in boxing or MMA uh, or jujitsu when a match goes particularly poorly for someone, maybe even me. Man, I got housed. They got housed. He got housed. She got housed. It's like someone dropped a house on them. That's how badly they got beat. That's the definition. So into the sidebar. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson realizes pretty quickly that Bill Randa has not been exactly forthright with them. Oh, and, and I love this. He, he comes up and he's like, you all right? Yeah, yeah, because I was worried about you. <laughs> and then once he's got that out of the way, he pulls the gun out. And he's like, yep. I want some answers. <laughs> and this is a great scene with two great actors like playing off of each other. And uh, John Goodman, his character, Bill uh, Randa, reveals that uh, he reveals why he kept it from him. He's like, I'm sorry about your men, but nobody would, you wouldn't have believed me. And then he says, have you heard of this ship from 1944 or whatever? And uh, Packer's like, no. And Kuhn was like, no one else has either. Is when we discovered that he was on it. Yeah. And I guess that's what got him going down this path that led him into Monarch. And you're, you're quite right. This scene is really amazing. It's amazingly acted. I also like just how the characters, there's nothing cliched about this interaction because he starts off with the concern. Then he, he wants immediate answers. Yep. Randa gives him the answers and that's kind of good enough. Randa makes a good case because he says, look, you know, we don't own this earth. The monsters have been here forever. They're kind of dormant now, but if we're not looking for them, there's every chance that they could, they could decide to take back what's theirs. Randa thinks that the monsters may be their enemies. I think he has a character arc a little bit in the film where he doesn't think that necessarily all the way through. I'll, I'll, I'll get your, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to, I'll ask you what you think about that later or you can comment on it now. In this moment, he's like, help me get us back to civilization with evidence so that they can send in the cavalry. And this is where we, we get our first Ahab moment, really. And that's when Packard's like, no, I am the cavalry. That's right, because actually when Randa says what he says, you know, so we can call in the cavalry, you know, my thought was, well, that would achieve the mission. Yeah, that would give that would give Packard what he wants—the death of Kong. Yeah, the fact that he doesn't agree to what uh, Randa says means that that's not enough. Packard has to be the one to pull the trigger. Yeah, well, he has to be the one responsible for the death of Kong. Yeah, and um, Packard gets his next fight, doesn't he? Because that seems to be what he wants. Is what he wants when 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 he gets called by somebody to escort Monarch into this situation. He gets called by the general uh, early yeah. on in the film, and and uh, then there's like, hey. Hey, would you? I know you guys are all getting ready to go home, but do you think your men would object to you know one more little mission before you guys head out? You know, it shouldn't be too much, but you know they could use you. And I was like, oh, my men are ready to go. They're ready to do whatever I say, and they are. Yeah. And then before he hangs up with the general, he says, "Oh, in general, thanks." Yeah. At the very end of that exchange between Packard and Randa, there's a um, there's a moment. I think it's when Packard stands up, mm -hmm. and John Goodman does an unbelievable job of looking scared as fuck that he's about to get shot. Yeah, he does. He, he's uh, shaking a little bit, isn't he? Because because Packard doesn't no, put the gun away. Yeah, he, he uh, yeah. And you know what I liked about that is that most actors would probably just do uh, like a swallow. Yeah, yeah. And he is trembling. Yes. Uh, he's, he's trying to hide it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but he, but he is absolutely trembling. It's a great choice, and it's it's. Uh, I would love to if 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 we could ever interview the director, Vote Robert. Is that his name, Vote Roberts? Yeah. Uh, I would really like to ask him about what it was like to film that scene. Did he just let it play? Did they, you know, I mean, because it was it was great to leave that in. I was riveted by the scene. I've watched it. I've watched this movie a few times, and that, 
that scene's always one that stands out to me. But it is the beginning of bad decisions on the part of the military in this movie. So of of Packard. Of Packard. There's a there's a big cargo helicopter that has a lot of weapons in it that Packard is going to try and get to with his, his remaining men so they can take out Kong. And, and he knows that Chapman is with that helicopter, and he uses the fact that Chapman is still alive as an excuse to, to head that way. I mean, I think he does care about Chapman, but he yes. also he, do, he also does care about killing Kong. Kong a lot, you know, yeah. and we'll see that 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 was only part of his motivation was to save Chapman, you know. Right. We'll see that that was not the main cause. But then we get the kind of fun adventure of the more comedic part of the movie, I think, or the lighter, the light part of the film uh, is Conrad and Mason Weaver and some of the other soldiers. On their adventure, they meet they meet the natives of the island, which uh, are a nicely done. The original King Kong, we do have to criticize the film for its depiction of the natives of the island. Yeah. It is a product of 1930. 33. Right. And it's not as tasteful as we would like. One of the things I like that I think this began with Peter Jackson is that the culture on the island is a hodgepodge of lost peoples. Yes. And and I dig that because like one of the things we learn in the early part of the film is that there are a lot of a lot of unexplained disappearances. You mean like the Bermuda Triangle? Like a lot of unexplained disappearances, sir. Uh, <laughs> right. as, he, as he's explaining to the senator. But so a lot of different people get lost on this island and then they kind of have to come together to survive. And so we get this like mix of cultures. Conrad and, and and the soldiers he's leading stumble upon the villagers, uh, the, the this the the tribe that's there, and it looks pretty dicey. Conrad keeps everybody chill. That's a full time job for him throughout the movie. I it think. is. It really is. <laughs> well, because earlier they have a they have a moment where um, they run into this magnificent, gigantic water buffalo kind of thing. One of the soldiers is about to make a big mistake and agitate this thing by shooting at it, and Conrad manages to keep them from getting trampled by this thing. And he does that here with the villagers but he also gets some help from their local crazy man uh played by john c Riley, who plays marlo yeah yep. and uh marlo has been on the island so it's 1973 for uh marlo has been on the island since 1944 he looks like he's been on the island since 1944 he does now i i, I have to say uh, john c Riley is awesome as marlo and actually i my favorite character in the movie. I he, he might be my favorite character in the movie too. He's got great one-liners in this movie and he's great in this scene here as well when he kind of uh, liaises, uh, is the liaison for the new the new visitors and the Islanders. And he basically explains why everything went to shit for them, why things went sideways yeah. to use uh, to use uh, uh, Randa's words. Well, Marlo explains the, basically the island ecology to our heroes. Well, I mean, uh, he basically explains that there are these creatures. I believe he calls them skull crushers. Skull crawlers. Uh, skull crawlers, uh, which he thought was a great name all these years. And then he finally said it aloud and realized that it, it didn't sound so good after all. But that these creatures are actually the, the real baddies of the island. Yeah. And they're the ones who threaten the natives. And because um, the natives, just like in the, the three Kong films, the, the three versions of King Kong, the natives have a large wall. But in those films, it's to keep Kong out and everybody else. Yeah. But in this film, it, it is to keep those creatures that actually never end up having a real name. They're, they're these reptilian creatures. And they live in those empty places in the earth. Yeah. Basically, Kong is the one that keeps them from proliferating and uh, overrunning the island. Kong actually brings balance to the island. Yes. And so that in that way, Kong protects everybody else on the island. 
happen. Like yeah. not just the natives, but also the water buffalo and, and yeah. all the other creatures on the island. Because these because these creatures that live under the ground are super nasty. And the and they're the ones that have been awoken. Yes. Uh, so the, the, the bombs have let them loose. And uh, I get the sense too, and, and I could be wrong about this, but I, I think the smaller ones come out more than the big ones because I think they can move around nece- without necessarily arousing Kong's interest. And but the big one, the, there's a big one, there's a big skull crawler that stays underground. It won't won't probably come out unless it thinks Kong's down. But and that's the danger that they find out uh, that, that that Conrad and the people find out. Well, gosh, if they kill Kong, then then this island's got a lot of trouble. But we we establish that in this version, like you said, Kong doesn't have a problem with the people on the island. He doesn't have a problem with anything on the island except. The other apex predators on the island. He has a he has a tussle, a great tussle with a giant, the the creature in the lake. Oh, that that uh, that scene is shot. I mean, that, that is so beautiful, spectacular. The, the scene that Max is talking about is uh, Chapman is is on his own and he's getting some water. When suddenly we have this long shot into this uh, into this kind of bay across from Chapman, and we see Kong just doing his morning stroll. Yes. And uh, and there's something very almost sublime about this visual seen from Chapman's perspective that, you know, here he is just getting water and then suddenly this massive creature just suddenly walks into his line of vision and begins walking towards him. Kong kind of sits down and he's nursing some of his wounds from the fight and just, yeah. kind, of, just kind of doing giant ape things. You almost get the sense that at any moment, David Attenborough is going to come trouncing into the scene and be like, and here, Kong is in his natural environment. Right. It is neat to watch him, like his giant mass, displace all this water, and him just kind of sit down and be a, a giant chimpanzee. It's it's glorious. And then, like you said, he has this fight with this uh, the creature in the water. No one was around to tell Chapman, "Do not disturb the water." <laughs> it's, it's an intense little fight. It's not very long. Kong has a fight that lasts about until uh, about as long uh, as it takes for him to find the creature's head. Yeah. And then he crushes the creature's head and then starts eating it. You know, and then and then we. See see all the the ink or blood the visual effects in this movie are really really astounding that they are better than godzilla's and that's saying a lot when kong started to consume one of the tentacles my son said kong likes sashimi Now, Chapman has a, an interesting moment here. He's very scared, but he demonstrates a lot of... Uh, he's very, he has a very cool head here. He won't have it later, and that's going to cause right. him trouble. He didn't shoot at Kong, and you could tell he was really quite frightened. I believe we actually skipped a, uh, one little action scene where our other heroes, led by the colonel, are going through a forest, and we get a nice little uh, a, a nice little humorous conversation where uh, Cole demonstrates that he totally has no clue about the story of the lion and the mouse and the uh thorn with, yeah with the thorn it's like wait uh, the, the mouse takes the thorn out and then kills the lion with the thorn yes and uh, his buddy is like uh who told you that and he's like my mom my mom told me that story <laughs> and his buddy's like that explains a lot about you Cole. <laughs> Little things like that in this movie that are missing from Godzilla. Yes, 
Absolutely. That, I, that, that just really are really good. I mean, it's almost like a, a poor man Tarantino dialogue. And uh, that's in the bamboo forest, isn't it? It's right before they're attacked by the giant spiders. And that's another harrowing scene. They get attacked by a giant spider. Somebody dies horribly just by the spider leg going through their head. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't seen this movie for a while and I actually kind of went, oh God, it's another sad moment for Packard and his men who have to kind of fight through their shock and fight this giant spider. They do, they do a good job of it, but they do lose a man. Yeah, uh, once they figure out that they just need to cut off its legs. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they're able to just to to, to gun it down. And uh, and then Packard goes over and finishes it off. Yes. Skull Island is a dangerous place to be. It is. Uh, but, 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 but Max, if you're there, remember, West is best. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So Packard is getting this reinforcement about, this is probably, this kind of things are probably reinforcing his desire to hunt and kill Kong. But at the other end, we're getting a, a, a kind of a softer view of the island because we, we're meeting some people who know how to navigate the island. We get the backstory of the island. Kong is king. He kills skull crawlers. They inform Marlow, hey, we need to get to the north side of the island in three days. And that's where we get the line that Jason just said. West oh. is best. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, that can't happen. Well, no, no, you can't get north in three days. Not this time of year. Nope, nope. And this is a great moment. Another great moment for John C. Riley because he turns around. He's, he's walking away from him and then he turns around because he just remembered. Not by foot. Yeah. And then he introduces them to a sea craft that I would have been hesitant to get on because I don't believe that you should make a boat out of two spare, the, the parts out of, of two spare airplanes. I think they mentioned it earlier, but we do discover that the two men that we saw fighting at the beginning of the film and really were desperate to kill each other yep. had later became brothers and they had worked on building this ship together yep. and, uh, you know, and his friend is now gone and he, he asked, and, and now you would not have gotten uh, on it and our, our, our heroes are also so very uh, hesitant to do so. <laughs> yes, yes. But it really is It really is a matter of, they have no other choice. They've got to get to the north part of the island to, to their exfil point. This craft that uh, that Marlowe's made a lot of special modifications to, yep. that goes well below 0.5. <laughs> <laughs> light speed they they pitch in and they they get it going they're finally in a boat you know kind of doing the heart of darkness story going up river oh which um before that yes uh going along with your star wars reference did you notice the sound that the motor made when they were trying to get it to start no i didn't uh, yeah it, it is absolutely the sound of the millennium falcon and the empire strikes back when the warp drive or warp drive the light speed doesn't work and it goes it is the exact same effect i wouldn't be surprised because the boat also has what could only be described of as a millennium falcon uh cockpit canopy on it yeah and and again while they're repairing it they spend a lot of time where he asks questions so you know so we won the war those are nice little character moments where where uh where we get marlo just curious about what's happening yeah how are the cubs doing one of the guys is well i'm from detroit oh and, and so you know there's this trash talking which americans would do at that time yeah. about sports just that the, the that the film takes the time to do those little things pairing and contrasting to godzilla yes godzilla really spent a lot of time on the human characters but they almost forced themselves to do it they didn't really have anything that they wanted to do with those yes. characters yes and in the, and, and in this movie you know right now kong's not on screen there's no creatures there's no monsters they're just building this little this little boat uh, and they just focus on the interaction of these characters and it's great it is and they even kind of build a nice little 
backstory that isn't necessary to the get to the monster plot with Marlo. You get the sense that he stopped working on the boat when when his friend died. Yeah. And he's almost hesitant to leave the island. Yeah. Because he had had this this promise with his friend who, you know, they 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 squashed their beef pretty quickly it seems like after after being confronted with Kong. Yeah. At that point they maybe realized that they they had they had better work together. Right. Because there are bigger fish to fry on this island than whatever's going on in the rest of the world. But I thought that was really interesting. And it seemed perfectly believable to me, thanks to Riley's acting, that that they would have that he would have become friends with this Ginpei guy. I mean, he carries Ginpei's sword. He carries Ginpei's belongings off the island. I, I liked that. I liked all that stuff. And and you're right. It, the intellectual and emotional lives of the humans in this film is light years ahead of what we find in Godzilla 2014. Yeah, another, another reason why I like Marlowe's character you know, when he, he gets out the picture of his girl and, and he gets to tell his story how they had gotten married before he joined the army. And then right before he shipped off, you know, he was aware that his son was going to be born who he'd never seen. And, you know, I wonder if she waited for me. And then, yeah. you know, they, they kind of joke with him as she didn't. And and he just says, I, I'd love to see him again. I, I wonder if she waited for me as she did. And he's like, well, that doesn't matter. And actually, I think that makes us want him to get off the island even more. Yeah. Because because we know that, you know, it, there's going to be no disappointment. Yeah. You know, he, he knows that this opportunity, which he had kind of given up on, really invigorates him. And and the way that John C. Riley plays it is really a pleasure to see. I I, I, yeah. I, I think I think it's really what kind of created a lot of affection for his character for me. Well, it, 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 his his character sort of becomes part of the film. I mean, we would have been fine without that character. It would have been fun just to see Conrad chewing through the scenery, saving everybody, doing yeah. the action hero thing. It would have been cool to see Samuel L. Jackson doing his interpretation of Ahab uh, in the movie. But it is nice to have this really warm, genuinely nice character in the film to bounce some of these other, to kind of bounce some other ideas off of the audience. It works really well in the film and it adds a, an element that, didn't need to be there necessarily for an action adventure film, but but really elevates the movie because of it. I think. Yes. As they're traveling up river, they get they finally get radio contact with the rest of the people. They pick up Packard and his men, and that's when Packard says, "Well, you know, we need to. We still got one guy left. We can't leave yet." Conrad tries to talk him out of this. Like it's not likely that your 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 man Chapman is alive by himself in the in the on this island. But we see that Packard is actually a good manipulator of people too and he because he kind of twists the knife a bit uh uh, the duty knife on yeah. Conrad and he's like what's your job your job is to find and rescue people well I've got a yeah. man who needs that and then Conrad you know he's not working for Packard he's working for Randa yeah if Randa said hey let's go I mean that, that would have been an out for him but what he does is he says I'm gonna go with this guy if I'm if I'm not back in a couple days you just go ahead and take the boat on out of here Brooks and San played by Tian Zhong Jing they uh, stay behind yeah but but uh Mason is going to go with she uh, says I'm going I'm going with you Marlo goes too yeah he warns them not to uh, and he has another great line when they're all getting ready to go find Chapman when he's like uh hey, you boys are great we're all going to die <laughs> um, you should not have come here, but you, but you guys are great, and it's nice to be hanging out with you. <laughs> but yeah, but they go. There's an area because they have to cross an area, kind of gaseous area where the skull crawlers hang out. There's a lot of bones. There's an old Kong family. There's an old family of Kong's relatives. Right. The bones of them there, uh, which Kong is maybe the last. Uh, that's what that's what that's what Marlo thinks. And 
he says we shouldn't go through there. Packard says we can, and Conrad says we can make it through here. We just gotta be cautious and calm. And and even even though Marlowe doesn't want to, he he likes these people and he's gonna go with them. They try and cross no man's land, and immediately things start to go wrong. Porsche Shea Wiggum, I think maybe attracts the creatures by smoking. Yeah. And somebody says, "Hey man, this isn't the time to do that. Put that out." And he tosses a cigarette and ignites some of this gas. Right. Bill Randa also takes a lot of documentary pictures and he takes a couple pictures in so doing he must hear something behind him because he says this is a sad moment because we really like the character yeah but he like takes some pictures and maybe he sees a reflection in the in the lens of his own camera and he says oh shit and then he gets brutally killed by a skull crawler yeah and then then everything goes to goes pretty badly for everybody again somebody drops a bunch of poison grenades uh people are getting attacked left and right how do they get out of it i can't remember it's uh slivko i believe that's his name yeah the, the kid from detroit that drops poison gas conrad goes to get him yep. by taking the sword and, and and fighting through all the little mini pterodactyls that are that are flying around but he does save him he gets him out mason, they, mason saves the day doesn't she because she has his lighter and she lights it and tosses it and ignites uh so i mean actually you know they do take on uh take on a skull crawler and they drive and, it back yeah and drive it back it? yeah they kill it i don't think they kill it yeah i don't know i don't know if they kill it but uh they they, they get away that way in the course of this battle one of the skull crawlers has regurgitated the bones of of chapman yeah we, we know this because his dog tags pop out as well yeah uh and conrad retrieves it and, and he and he provides it to packard and packard says well, that doesn't change anything yes yes and uh and that's when conrad's like well why do you really want to go to the helicopter then you know why do you really want to go there and he's like because we got we've got weapons and we can kill kong yeah and they have it they try and convince packard not to do it but it doesn't work there's some tension but packard does get some people to follow him up to the up to the chapman's helicopter oh uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves before all of this happens there is a really poignant moment where kong and conrad and mason have an interaction no i don't think we're getting ahead of ourselves i think that's oh. after oh is that after okay so is it so packard goes off and then he says, we're going to go to the helicopter. We're going to kill Kong. And they leave. And they're going to wait, I guess, for Packard and then to come. And that's when... That's when they have... When, when Conrad and Mason have uh, an interaction with Kong in which th- th- they find him to be a rather gentle bloke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's then that, that Conrad makes the decision to save Kong. Yeah. And, and of course, and Mason's going to go with him. And, of course, uh, Marlo uh, is absolutely <laughs> on board because, because he knows that if they kill Kong, that all of his friends, the natives, yeah. will die. When Conrad's about to go, Marlo's like, well, where are you going? Conrad's very blunt. He's like, I'm going to go save, I, I got to try and save Kong. And then Marlo says, not without me. Yeah. And as an audience member, I was immediately worried because in a lot of these films, yeah. oh, the yeah. Marlo character is the character that's going to die. Yeah. And so, yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I'm worried. I'm worried about this. Packard sets some traps for Kong. He starts blowing up the island again because he knows that that aggravates Kong. He sets a bunch of napalm in some water and he's going to try and burn Kong. And he, he comes pretty close. Yeah, he does. But he does forget how much water a giant ape can displace. <laughs> Kong wins through most of the trap. He kills more of, I think, Packard's men in this fight. But Kong is burned, it seems like, kind of badly in this fight. He, he passes out after he, he undoes a lot of the trap. 
And this is when Packard sets some bombs around Kong and he's going to blow Kong up. And that's when Conrad and Mason and Marlowe come onto the scene. And, and we have kind of a, a standoff between the pro-Kong faction and the anti-Kong faction, which is really only one member of the anti-Kong faction. Yeah, yeah. As we find yeah. out, Conrad makes a good case. The young soldier is the first person to turn his gun on Packard and is like, look, sir, this is this is not the put job. It, put, it, put it down, sir. Yeah. Yeah, the Detroit kid. When he does that, it breaks the resolve of the other soldiers to follow. Packard. Yes. Not only that, but it's also Marlowe that says to, to to the young soldier, "You know this isn't right." Yeah. Like, like he just—I mean, he it's convinces him yeah. that you don't want to be a part of this, basically. Yeah. And that works. Well, I, I I guess it works to get all of them out of there. Yes. It looks like it might move Packard, but it doesn't quite. No. He does lower his gun. He had he had his gun aimed at Mason because he doesn't like Mason very much. He's very polite to her a lot of the time, but he doesn't like her. You get the sense that. He doesn't appreciate her anti-war sensibilities. He yeah. doesn't like her opinion of the war. Like I said, he's very professional towards her. Yeah, yeah. Until this moment where he aims his gun at her. I think he does realize that's a step too far. Yeah. He's not willing to let go of his uh, unreasonable anger at Kong, but he, he. I think he does realize that he shouldn't be pointing his gun at another American citizen. We don't know how it might have resolved in a, in a different universe because at that moment, the big one, the big skull crawler appears. Which sends everybody except Packard running. Yes. The greatest the greatest symbol of Packard's resolve is, and actually watching it even for the second time, I, I'd forgotten what he did, that even in that moment when a skull crawler shows up, he's still fixated on Kong. Yes, yes, because he's like, he's, he's like, die, you mother. Um, and then... Wham! And then, and then Kong does eliminate Packard's concerns <laughs> in, 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 uh, with extreme prejudice. Yes, yes, he does. Um, Kong has his first tussle with the big skull crawler. I think I don't remember yes. how that goes exactly. It's it's not conclusive because they no. they end up fighting again later yeah. when uh, when the sun comes up. Yes. Um. Or th does the fight just kind of move towards the humans? Well, I, uh, I, the thing does start chasing the humans because they scatter when the, yeah. when the major when the giant skull crawler uh, attacks. Because I think the giant skull crawler pretty much thinks it doesn't have to worry about Kong because Kong's right. pretty pretty badly injured and it goes after the humans and then our heroes I know they, they come to the shore where they're supposed to meet the boat but the boat's gone yeah. um, it is it is morning and the, they, they did do it looks like they've done it looks like Brooks and, and San have done what Conrad said which who yeah. could blame them and, and, and it shows them struggling about it because she says it, you know it's dawn <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah what do we do the humans are, are trying to figure out something to do about about this giant skull crawler mason gamely climbs up a cliff and shoots the skull crusher in the eye or whatever the thing is on its on the side of its head with the flare gun all really looks lost uh, for the humans but then the boat does return it, it had to leave because the platform was unsteady i guess yeah um, <laughs> maybe you'll get that reference maybe you won't i'm not gonna say what it's from the guy unloads with the 50 caliber the twin 50 cal guns on the front of the boat which i thought when i first saw that i thought well, that's pretty strange to put on your boat that you're leaving the island on. But then on this viewing, I was like, well, you are leaving Skull Island. Maybe you do want <laughs> 50 caliber weapons on your boat. 
now that I think about it. Yeah. It gives the humans enough time, with the exception of Mason, to get to the boat. Um, and it still looks pretty bad because the, they need to they need to cycle some more ammo into the into the guns. And it looks bad for them, but then Kong is back and he, he and the creature have a glorious fight. Not just a glorious fight. I, I, I actually came to the conclusion while watching it the second time. That's the best monster fight in any movie. Yes, it's better. It's, it's Godzilla 2014 fight with the Muto. So that's quite fun. It's not quite as dynamic or as exciting as this fight. No. Um, uh, in part because we get to see, sometimes I think it's hard to, con- I think the later films, to preview a little bit of my thoughts, I think the later films do a little bit better job of depicting Godzilla's intelligence. Yeah. But, but this film realizes that, that Kong has to be intelligent. I mean, he's a chimpanzee or a gorilla or some kind of creature like those, those apes, right? These yeah. are smart creatures. And we get to see him figure out things and come to solutions and behave like a smart mammal. Right. I imagine it's easier to animate a creature like Kong that has a mental life much closer to a human's than say something like Godzilla. Right. Because in the back of my head, if I was doing Godzilla, I would always be worried about anthropomorphizing. Yeah. Making him too human. Right. Kong, you can kind of get away with that. Yeah. I don't know what the genetics are, but I'm guessing that that we share a lot of genes with Kong. Right, right. (laughs) We certainly share, with the exception of the gigantism, we share a lot of the morphology. (laughs) Every movement in the fight is just spectacular and exciting. It's thrilling. It's frightening. It makes you cheer. Yes. It's really, really a great fight. There's a moment, too, where we see the kind of franticness of Kong when he gets thrown into an old ship and a bunch of the anchor chains get wrapped around him. Now, he's panicking. And one of the things I like about this is that it seems to me that he's panicking, not because he's in any danger, because in that moment, he's not in any danger. He's frustrated, I think, because he's he's trying to protect the humans. Yeah. We almost see the light bulb appear above Kong's head as he frees himself from these chains. And then he finds one of the chains attached to a giant propeller from the ship. And you're like, one of the great things in this moment is as the audience, we get there at the same time Kong does. And we're like, oh, he's going to do that. He's going to, this is where he's going with this. Of course, eventually Kong wins the fight. The humans get rescued by the choppers. But what did you think of the design of the skull crawlers? I I, I don't know if you're, if you're fishing for anything that it was similar to. I, did, I don't have any thoughts about- I mean, uh, just how, how did you react to them as an, as a person in the audience? Did you find them compelling creatures? Did you did you think that they were well-designed and well-thought-out? Did you find them to be a good match against Kong? Yes, but I but, but that's not an enthusiastic yes. Yeah. Like, they, they work very, very well, but I can't say that their appearance really, really matched what we were told that they were. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? They're, they're definitely very threatening for humans. Yeah. Right? You could see why humans would be frightened of these things. I wasn't as thrilled with the skull crawlers when I first saw it. And the second viewing, I liked them a lot more. Okay. I thought, well, you know, these are, these are different. These are, this is, a, this is a neat attempt by the creators to come up with a creature we haven't seen before. Right. Right. Um, because they could have done something like T-Rexes, but instead they tried to give us something a little more unique to this monster verse than, than fights we We'd seen before which was smart because if, if they'd have used a t-rex everyone would have thought jurassic park or jurassic world or the peter jackson kong i mean 
We've seen that before. And look, you can't beat the, T- the, the T-Rex fight in Peter Jackson's Kong. So it's good that they tried something new. And, and that's and that's more of an elaborate fight. Yeah. What you're referring to. But I really was just so um, exhilarated by every little moment of this, of this fight. And, and, and they do kind of homage the Peter Jackson fight a little bit because in the fight, um, uh, poor Mason gets knocked off the cliff and into the water. And yeah. Kong shocked, Conrad shocked. And uh, Kong has to have some of his fight while protecting the girl in his in his palm. In his hand. And I remember th- as I was watching that, I was like, I, I kind of marveled a little bit at the kind of motor control we have to assume Kong had because I was like, now he's got to win this fight without accidentally crushing Mason. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I like that. I like I like that. I mean, because that shows his intelligence and his concern for humans, right? And he's able to do it. <laughs> and he's able to do it. Um, it would have been a really funny but dark turn if he had been like. If he'd like open his hand and there's just like a bloody smear in there. <laughs> That's in the dark director's cut. We did miss a key thing that I kind of liked. All right. When Cole tries to buy them time with the okay. grenades. Now it doesn't his plan doesn't work. <laughs> it's so sad because he our hero Cole, Shea Wigman, who's a great actor. I love him in everything I've ever seen him in. He pulls the pins on a couple grenades. He has a ton of other grenades on him. And what he seems to be hoping, and we've seen this in other films, is that the creature's gonna come and chomp down for a nice coal meal and it will be it's it will be vitally injured in in the explosion inside of its head yeah. but the creature looks like it might do that but then it spins and hits coal with his tail with its tail and sends this would-be human booby trap a half a mile away and he just blows up sacrificed for nothing and, uh, yeah and, and well, not only that but i mean they're so concerned about stopping him yes that he that, that he actually prevents them from making progress because they you're right because uh, his friend his best friend tries to run back and stop Cole from making the sacrifice it causes Conrad to run back and grab the friend and their progress doesn't advance a step and when I first saw it in the theater I was like oh that was kind of a waste of of screen time but then I kind of liked it because like in any other film that would have worked it would have slowed the creature down right and I kind of liked that it didn't work on this on this uh, okay you know um they haven't moved an inch Cole yeah Kong defeats the creature beats his chest a couple times I think the next scene we get is the helicopter coming to the island they're going to be picked up and then we see the little vignette of Ma- uh, marlo seeing his family and it looks like his wife has actually waited i gave that some thought i think that we're supposed to think that that she waited because of the line conrad says yeah you'd be surprised yeah or yeah he says like you'd that. be surprised how long people wait and so i think that we're supposed to assume i mean also because there's no other guy there and he gets to meet his son who by the way was played by sam actor that played him as a young man oh really oh yeah. that's, i didn't notice that i didn't notice yeah. that that's a clever touch yeah and then uh and then cut to him with a hot dog and a beer watching a cubs game uh his first when he meets um uh, mason he says you're more beautiful than a day at wrigley field with a hot dog and a and a beer <laughs> and when he says that, he's looking at his hands and he kind of blinks and shakes his hands. You get the sense that he's kind of mentally ill. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's going to need some work when he gets back to the world. But he looks at his hands and then he kind of blinks because he was really seeing the hot dog and the, <laughs> and, yeah. and the and the Coke or whatever it was. And then he's like, but you're real, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can almost make a case. Marlo's actually the main character. We open and close on him. 
right? It's true. It's true. I mean, he's not just a side character. He is. If you watch some of the credits, though, it doesn't actually close on Marlowe. No, it doesn't. It opens with the, 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 the movie closes on Conrad and Mason talking to a one way mirror at, at the Monarch facilities. Yeah, they've been detained. They're, they've been detained to be recruited. Yeah, that's what I think. And uh, I like that. I mean, I, I thought it was a fun touch. We, we get some more backstory on Monarch, which seems to have picked up some funding after this little island adventure. Well, I'm sorry, Conrad and Mason get the backstory on the monsters and how everybody's had these these legends about these creatures. And we see some really kind of wonderful cave paintings. We get Mothra. We get, I think, maybe Rodan. And we definitely get Godzilla. We get Ghidorah. And then we yeah. get Ghidorah and Godzilla basically all paying out the next film. What did you think of that scene? Oh, I, I, I thought it was great. I mean, actually, I think this movie does a great job of, of tying in t- uh, to this monster verse, this, this connected cinematic universe, in the same way that the early Marvel films were kind of standalone movies that then kind of just threw you a little crumb yeah. that, w- that was just very, very enticing. Yes. Um, and I think that that scene does it very well. And it, and it closes on Godzilla's cry. Yes. Uh, yes. Before the fade out. Yeah. It pained me to enjoy this movie as much as I did because I, I enjoyed it more than than Godzilla. Yeah. I, I think because it, it it does manage to do the human elements as well as it does the monster elements. You know, And even though the monster elements in Godzilla are real, are done really well, yeah. this movie does it better. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I've been very excited to do this this series as, as we're doing, and we've got two more. I've kind of gone into each of these films hoping for the best, but assuming that I was going to get great effects, minimal story, and and unsatisfying human characters. Yes. And Godzilla almost gave me that, but but uh, listeners will, who've already heard our, our last one or our review of that, that uh, Godzilla definitely has a lot of things that would recommend it, though. I mean, it, it, it has its virtues. This is a good movie. Yes it, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Do you have anything to add about the score, Jason? Give this score a score. I, I will. I, I um, uh, This score is done by uh, Henry Jackman. And Henry Jackman, I, I mean, you and I probably know him best from he did uh x-men first class okay he's a very good composer very good film composer he admires the work of john barry uh, a lot the score for this film is great it's it's got a lot of of jungle components it's Mm -hmm. mixed it's mixed very well with a late 60s early 70s pop soundtrack that again that again even though it's a cliche because we've seen these vietnam movies all our lives where they Mm -hmm. play credence clearwater revival and and yet somehow this the music in this film never seems cliched. The score for this film moves with the film very well. It, it, it heightens the tension. It's very, very creative in, in a lot of parts. I will say, I think I prefer the score for Godzilla. Yeah, no, I did too. I did too. Um, but I do like the score a lot. And I like the, I like the musical selection. We often get credence, but but they, they threw in a few other songs that that, yeah, yeah. that, that sort of colored the 70s more than, the, than 68 and 69. And, and yeah, 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 which I think is where a lot of the Vietnam movies kind of hover in their music right, sensibilities. Right. One of the things I liked about Jackman's score is that it set the the movie as part of uh, the greater piece. Jackman has done a great job of of linking his musical ideas, I think, with with Godzilla twenty fourteen. I really dug 
the Vietnam era music elements of the film. Yeah, me too. It, we, we got a, we get a little Vietnam movie without the depressing nature of Vietnam. Do you see how it very easily could have been cliche? Like oh, it absolutely. Really, it, it really could have felt bad. And to me, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. It, and the verdict. I don't know what there is. I don't know how much there is for me to say about this film. I like it. It's a great King Kong film. It's not the original. It's not Peter Jackson's King Kong. It's its own King Kong movie. This is a, a really great adventure film that sets its adventure in, I think, a very real, in a very real way in late Viet, Vietnam era world that it creates and inhabits. It balances the human story and the monster story and links the two in a way that these films just have a lot of trouble with. I think this is a fun film. Is it going to keep you up at night pondering deep philosophical questions about the universe? No, but that's all right. See this movie, check your brain at the fucking door, eat your popcorn and enjoy it. I think you'll have a good time with this movie. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, I... I would concur. I think that the thing I like most about this movie is that, you know, for many years, those of us who are King Kong fans, and I would consider myself one, we love the the original film. Uh, there was a time I loved the 1976 film. I'll still watch it, even though it's terrible. Peter Jackson film that was made in 2005. We love that story, the story of Carl Denham, the story of the journey to Skull Island and bringing Kong back. But we always kind of want to see something different, something else. And this movie really gives Kong fans that. The good news, the, the, the better news is, is that it's good. This is a really, really good movie. This is not just a, a, a generic action film that just tries to, to rest on its special effects and, and to put butts in the seats. This is a really good movie. It, it, it's, it's got a, a really, really good cast with good characters. It's, it's got really, really good dialogue, which enhances the characters. It enhances our uh, uh, our ability to to feel a great deal of of sympathy with these characters and 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 to root for them and it also does a great job of world building as well you know kind of as its part-time job it, it, it's really a, a, a just a very very good monster movie and certainly better evidence than than the film that preceded it that we're kind of in an era where i think that we're we can make some good monster movies now with godzilla our, you know i think we both kind of recommended that that it was a movie that if you liked monster movies, you would like it. If you if you were just a movie fan, maybe you wouldn't like it. I think this movie has a little bit for everybody. I mean, if you don't like action movies at all, or th then maybe you wouldn't like it. But this is a very well done action adventure monster film. It is very very violent, but it's just it's just spectacularly done. And I actually would enthusiastically recommend this movie. And I didn't expect. It. Now before we move on, I want to just highlight something, Jason said in his verdict you nailed it when you said this is a new kong story and i think that is spot on um not since king kong lives uh not king kong lives i'm sorry king kong escapes have we gotten a really i i'm a defender of king kong escapes but it's a new story we we have two great versions of the original story we have the 33 and the peter jackson version right which are which are the same story but 
Jackson has updated it for the modern context. We have a terrible version of that story, but we've seen that story three times now. Yeah. And so it was nice to see a new story. You know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to really make, I just wanted to sing your praises there for pointing that out. So spot on, Jason. I'll cut all that out. I don't like to praise Jason. <laughs> so what are we doing next week, Jason? Uh, next week, we will continue our adventure, our, our foray into Legendary Pictures Monsterverse with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And with that... Folks, watch the movie before you before you before we talk about it, because uh, there will be spoilers. But share us on social media, on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, uh, with your friends. Email people in painfully obnoxious chain mail emails. Add that if you don't send this to seven people, the world will end in the in the email that you send. Anything you want to add? Anything you want to plug? Anything people should watch before we go? No, not that. I don't think I have anything to add. Jason is a huge fan of 2012 by the Emmerich brothers. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But uh, uh, all right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Right. I think she's Sam from Ronan. Did you see them pass the Princess Bar in Madripoor? Does your opinion of Rob Liefeld change? Yeah, my opinion of Rob Liefeld always finds a new low. Walt Simonson's run is the best storytelling run in in all of, of Thor. Have you met Baron Zemo yet? <laughs>